I think proof of work sums up for me sovereignty because you realize that to prove your work and to do it right, you have to respect and be responsible for your time. So you have to be self-reliant on your time and what that, what that means to you. So not wasting time, getting rid of people in your life that take too much of your time. By doing that, we have a, we have a better world. It's, it's like the opposite of proof of, of work is proof of stake. Not only in the crypto space, I hate saying that word, but not only in the cryptocurrency space, but you know, everywhere where people that believe in sovereignty have problems, like especially like with government, government is 100% proof of stake. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Sovereign States of Mind, brought to you by a family in paradise. That is my family. We live off-grid in Hawaii. We're working on developing a homestead, trying to become as autonomous as possible and be responsible for our own lives. Our YouTube channel videos are generally lots of fun. Quick, quick, quick. The podcast is a way for us to get deeper into some of these topics. We'll be exploring some of the many principles of personal sovereignty and how we can explore and implement them into our lives, from homesteading to community building and self-reliance to Bitcoin, with some sprinkles of parenting, fitness, authentic relating, and gratitude tossed in the mix. No sponsors as of yet, so let's dive right into this week's conversation. Sovereign states of mind. It means proof of work. I'm borrowing that from Bitcoin's protocol of how it speaks the truth without anybody faking or making or taking responsibility or accountability from anybody else. Meaning that with quote unquote proof of work, we prove we're good people. We prove we're a good husband, a good lover, a good father. We prove that we're a good worker. We, we, we prove our uh, education through dialogue and communication. We can't just buy it. We can't just stake it. And anytime that someone can just buy access, anytime someone can just put themselves in a place where someone else had to work, um, they distort human action. They distort and they corrupt what um, the work takes. And so we find that throughout history, it is without the work that manipulates societies, manipulates economies. And in fact, you can probably trace the, the, the failure and the descent of almost every civilization to someone who tried to get around proof of work. <laughs> you know, and, and it's almost in our human nature. It sucks, but you know, the way we're born, it's like, okay, we start figuring everything out from our stimuli. And then it's how, how do I game the system? How, how can I, how can I do that better? You know, we, as humans, you know, until we're told and we start to learn about what's ethical and moral, we, you know, we want to cheat. It's, we can't help it. We're, we're animals. And we're just like, you know, I, if I cheat, I can survive. But what we've learned is that in a community that doesn't, that doesn't work over time, everything will fail. And, you know, I'm not just speaking about money. I'm speaking about everything like, you know, life requires work. And it doesn't mean that we can't be smart and, and effectual. We can't leverage and be impactful with how we work. It doesn't mean just be busy and, and you know, don't get anywhere. But um, I think proof of work sums up for me sovereignty because you realize that to prove your work 
And to do it right, you have to respect and be responsible for your time. So you have to be self-reliant on your time and what that, what that means to you. So not wasting time, getting rid of people in your life that take too much of your time. By doing that, we have a, we have a better world. It's, it's like the opposite of proof of, of work is proof of stake. Not only in the crypto space, I hate saying that word, but not only in the cryptocurrency space, but you know, everywhere where people that believe in sovereignty have problems, like especially like with government, government is 100% proof of stake. And I'd even argue that if they were literally truthfully electable, maybe there would be some proof of work, but you know, they're not. We know that you know, a vote isn't a vote and a vote can be bought. So uh, I can go on a long tangent down there, but that, that's a long ways of saying I believe uh, sovereignty is proof of work. A lot to unpack there. Those are some really great points and a beautiful way to start this conversation for sure. Uh, I like the analogy of just cheating. Uh, humans just want to cheat. We want to be lazy. It's something about the animal side of us. And I notice it sometimes with like, I, I go in and out of like a dad bod. Uh, or just like my, my gut gets a bit bigger, uh, and then I, I get control of myself again. And I have to prove my prove to myself the work, that I can do the work, that I'm doing the work. And then the dad bod starts to go away. I start to come to myself again, and I feel better. I feel more productive. You mentioned, you know, it doesn't proof of stake doesn't work in community. Everyone has to hold their own. And yeah, we come from this tribal background. We come from this, uh, everyone has to pitch in or else we're not going to survive people. And uh, the whole hierarchy of, I'm going to tell everyone what to do. Uh, and then everyone is, and I'm just going to relax and reap the rewards of everyone else's hard work. All that comes from essentially someone cunning enough to figure out how they can be the laziest <laughs> or how they can do the least amount of work and the amount of influence that just that notion has had over our history like you mentioned is absolutely insane and and i mean i'm wondering now if it's not out yet i imagine there's something written by someone in the bitcoin space that will cover that in a historical context right i, I mean i know I know in the Bitcoin standard, he goes through a bit of that in the early chapters, just in the history of, of money and, and banking and how governments used fiat to essentially fund pointless wars. His argument is that World War I was fairly pointless. It was all just because the elites at the time, the monarchies across Europe, had these ego, uh, these egos. <laughs> they just right. what fighted the fight for their for their name and their honor, and even the soldiers didn't know what they were doing, and they... They paused for Christmas to, you know, the Germans and the French would play football together because they, they don't care about killing each other. They're just following orders. That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, all, all, all civilizations that fail throughout history ultimately failed because of, of their monetary system. And their monetary system ultimately failed because someone, whether it was the government or someone else, could violate proof of work. They mm. could come in with proof of stake. I mean, it's, it's how slavery started, how the whole transatlantic slavery started with the, with the agri beads that everyone in West Africa, right. you know, these beads were their money, right? But the Dutch settlers realized, oh, we could just counterfeit them. We can make as many as we want. And they just basically decimated generations of money overnight because they could stake them rather than make them. 
it makes us it makes me wonder about just how curious the technology of money is and how maybe precarious or fragile it can be or it has always been and then the argument that we'll get into today is bitcoin is anti-fragile it That's provides right. it provides that technology that that doesn't allow anyone to to take advantage of it to buy it out and to become that that guy on the top telling everyone else what to do and corrupting the system so they can be lazier that's right proof of work that's right cool that's right. and anyone can prove their work you know it's it's the first it's the first what people don't realize is that bitcoin is the first system that was created to be money you know, and that's why people always, you know, critics will be like, oh, well, there's no intrinsic value. I, I can't hold the Bitcoin. What am I going to do with the Bitcoin? At least a banana. You know, Mark Cuban once said, at least a banana, I could eat a banana, right? He has since come over, but that's because it was, it's such pure money because it was made to be money. Nothing else was made to be money. It's just yeah, that gold. we're still in. Yeah. What is gold? Just some mineral that we find shiny. Right. It, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it rose to the top, which is why it's been money for over 5,000 years, because it had the properties. We know the five, six properties that should be money, but nothing quite fit perfectly all of them until Satoshi said, let's create what we don't have. And, so what are these know, properties of money for people that might not be as into Bitcoin as we are? What are these properties? Sure. Sure. Uh, so first, it has to be a store of value. Um, and that's the biggest issue that that people have, especially in the global south. A lot of people here in the West don't see it because our leakage, our inflation is slow enough that it's like, oh, my $10 beer, I went down to the bar yesterday, now it's twelve fifty. Oh, well, two bucks, 50 cents, whoop-de-doo. But that's 25%. And not only that, it's the world currency. It's the, it's the world reserve currency. I mean, it, it's been for quite some time. And yes. yeah, that domination has made it so even if I go somewhere else, my dollar is still like my wife is from Argentina. We spend time in Argentina. Oh, and dude, huge inflation. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> and as much as I like to talk shit about the dollar and everything up here, I go down to Argentina and I'm still a king, right? Like, yeah, because of dollars. No, it's, it's nuts. Um, so once you realize that money is a store of value, that leads you to, you know, down the rabbit hole, and I'll, and I'll keep this part short, that it's like, well, so what, so what is money? Well, money is simply the capture of your excess contribution that you gave to society that you don't want to go to waste. So you want to store it somehow to be able to spend in the future or give to your family or legacy. But we're not used to that. And so the government in a fiat world on purpose continue to inflate because it lowers their debt. But what it does is it makes us consume, which ramps the numbers up for the economy. So it's like, oh, the GDP is great. The, the numbers are up. But no, we're just consuming. We're, there's no incentive for us to save. There's no incentive for you, Jordan, to be better to, you know, when you, if you go work at something for eight hours, you know, provide in a sense, 12 hours of effectiveness, if it's just going to leak in next year, you can't buy the same thing that you can buy this year. So one, it has to be a store of value. And gold has done that the best so far, whereas everything else from tobacco, people just smoked it. Salt, you know, anyone can get it. And so it could be counterfeit. Um, you know, and that's where we get the word salary it comes from salt. Um, shells, beads, like all kinds of other things could be counterfeit. And there was no way to really verify them. Even so silver. Money also even silver is just more more easily mined, so more can be added to the supply. 
in comparison to gold, at least uh, a lot quicker. Absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, gold is somewhat scarce, but it really isn't because if the price goes up, people will just put more money into research. They'll dig deeper. They'll Hmm. go into the oceans, you know, not to mention all of the chemicals and how much it leaks into the environment. Like it's, it's, it's really, it's really terrible how, how much you have to excavate and, you know, wreak havoc on the earth just to get a little bit of gold. I saw your tweet about that. It's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Everyone making these arguments against Bitcoin for the environment. And then yet everyone seems to still be okay with gold for however many hundreds of years. Right. Not to mention that no one really holds gold. Like, you know, what am I going to do? Put it in a safe? I can't buy anything with it. I can't carry it on a plane. So they're all storing it in a custody. And now you're back to proof of stake. Now you're trusting a bank. And there have been entire governments from Australia to England to Germany, recently in China, that after decades have have looked into their gold supply, brought in the alchemists and been like, oops, we're holding fake gold. Like even the experts can't like the only true way to really 100% know is you got to like melt it. You got to go through these chemical tests and bring it back and that all costs money. So looking at gold, actually, I can answer the rest of these because so good money should be portable. You know, you can't carry gold around. It should be divisible. Great. How do I slice this off and go get Starbucks? Um, It needs to be uh, durable. So gold is extremely durable, which is great, whereas other forms of money absolutely were not. Um, and it needs to be able to be, um, it needs to be, uh, fungible. And a lot of people don't know what that means, but it basically means that if like with a Bitcoin, if I just come over to your house, Jordan, I say, here's a Bitcoin and I want your car. You don't need to look and analyze the Bitcoin, the way Bitcoin software works. It won't even land in your wallet. If it's not true Bitcoin, it gets authenticated automatically based on the software. But if, if I come to your house with a piece of gold, it, it, do you want my gold or do you want the guy that can't, comes from the Hawaiian gold exchange and says, well, here's my gold. And it's apparently the same size, the same ounce, whatever. It's like gold looks different. It, it's maybe not in its purest form. Then we got to weigh you know, it. We got to get it appraised. All these things, which is like, hey, we just want to make a, a, a freaking transaction here. Like it can be that's, quick. <laughs> that's exactly it. So. The comparison of Bitcoin and gold is good, I think, for just for that purpose, just to help explain what perfect money should be. And then people can learn, well, why are we in the situation we are now? Well, it's really simple. Gold was our car. Gold was our coat check at the club. And we just got a coupon. We got a receipt because we can't carry around gold. It was actually pretty smart. I don't blame the government. They're like, here, have paper. Oh, great. Now I can trade paper with Jordan. I'm not going to carry this gold around. And it says, you know, in the government we trust. So that's fine. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, redeem but this for what gold. Happened is, <laughs> right. But when they pulled that away, when they suddenly said, we're not going to bring the car around to the front of the restaurant, you've got the valet ticket. You know, you don't need the car, Jordan, just walk and carry the receipt. It's just as good as the car. Mm. And that's what happened in 1971. And ever since we've just been going like this with inflation. Right. It's, it's absolutely crazy when you look at the charts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was, so we, it's been time. Yeah. It, Store value, portability, durability, portability. fungibility, fungibility, there? divisibility. Well, verifiability, 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 and that's and that's a big one. And you know, back in the day, there were so many people that were trying to counterfeit gold. They were, you know, these alchemists worked really hard on it. But it turns out, all they needed to do is 
not look at gold and just say, what can we make that would replicate those, the properties that gold has? And it wasn't until Satoshi came along that we had that. Basically. Yeah. And there were definitely experiments that contributed to Satoshi's ultimate white paper 1.0, such as like, uh, what was it called? E-cash and Adam Beck's work and- Adam Beck's hash cash. Yeah. Hash cash, excuse me. He invented proof of work, actually. He was trying to counter spam, email spam. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the concepts of where Bitcoin comes from is something that the cypherpunks punks have been exploring for quite some time, a few decades, really. Yeah. And yeah, there's actually 40 years of hundreds of, of cryptographers working together. And Satoshi really just knew which ones to combine. And then he added his own unique invention, which was the difficulty adjustment. Um, we, won't, we, won't, we don't have to get into that now, but he made well, it, it is a important. way where... Okay. Well, he, he, so he came up with a way where people couldn't corrupt the time of Bitcoin by, um, by ma- making, the, making someone with enough computing power to be able to take over the network and to prevent people like you and me with our little computers with just four megabytes of space to be able to audit and verify the ledger and everything that's going on. And by this difficulty adjustment, so, you know, your big bad neighbor who's a billionaire and decides to fill his house with all these com- all these ASIC computers doesn't make any difference. If he's got all this power, the network's going to just get that much harder for him. And instead of rolling a six-sided dice to hopefully guess the proof of work number, he's now got a thousand-sided dice. And he's sitting there rolling and he's got to get two numbers on that thousand-sided dice. Uh, and it all boils back down to... Prove the work. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. You got to prove the work. I mean, that's what I loved about when, when Adam Back uh, invented proof of work because, he, 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 you know, it was genius. He's like, how do I solve the spam? It's like, well, wait a minute. What if everybody who's sending an email has to do a little bit of work? S- scammers don't want to do any work. Right? Or pay, yeah. Or pay, right? So, you know, even if it's a 30th of a penny, they're like, I'm not going to do that. So, Yeah. I know Michael Saylor has said Lightning Network is perfect for combating spam, especially on a platform like Twitter, because you would just, I I don't remember the specifics, but basically every real user would have to send some kind of deposit in sats and then thus rendering probably 99% of spammers irrelevant because they're not going to pay anything. Yeah, that's right. I mean, think about if you had to pay, you know, four cents every time you tweeted or commented and you might think, gosh, that might add up. But yeah, but so for three bucks... Even if you're like a crazy tweeter, it's like you've gotten rid of all the bots and all the junk right. that you get. Yeah. So, so you're obviously very well informed and very into Bitcoin. How did you get into it? How did you first hear about it? Um, I got into it because uh, I wanted to write a book about time. I've always been fascinated by time. I believe by time. time is the most time. Yeah, simply time. time. Yeah, and. Uh, simultaneously, and I didn't know where to start and I didn't know how to write about time that wasn't going to be like everything else. And simultaneously, I had discovered Bitcoin, just like most all of us did, where it's like, is this like a tech stock? I have, I don't get it. Oh, (laughs) wow. The number goes up. Can I buy some? So, you know, in November of 2017, it was 11,700. I uh, went on a very shady exchange uh, in another country because I was told that's where you go. And I bought a hundred bucks worth. Nice. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm going to lose a hundred bucks. And uh, 
Instead, you made so it started 90. with that. <laughs> I know. And In then I month. was like, well, wait a minute. All these <laughs> other ones are cheaper. What What are all these other crazy things? Oh, maybe I should do this. Oh, and you know, back yeah. then, CNBC yeah. was saying, you know, you should diversify with these portfolios. They're putting up big screens and mentioning all of them. XRP, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cardano and all these. And I was just like, okay, okay, okay. And, it, you know, of course, it went up to 20,000 20, right there at the end of 2017. And then, you know, into 2018, you know, down to three, 4,000. And that's when I said, okay, let me learn about, let me actually learn about all this stuff. And that was the first time um, I had to do my work. Cause again, I was just doing proof of stake. I had some cash and I got wrecked. You know, I spent those Bitcoin buying cheaper shit coins. um, Gambling. So gambling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Gambling. We all know that story. Yeah. We all know that story. And that's, you know what? It's comforting talking to Bitcoiners like yourself and and even some of the the, the OGs that they all started out this way. We all go down the same path, which is why I try to tell a lot of Bitcoiners to not be so toxic and and self-righteous and judgmental when new people come in. Like, I get it that we're on a mission and and this is super important because this is a new form of money. But it's like, I'm not going to drive over to Las Vegas and stand in front of the casinos and be like, you know, guys, don't, what the hell are you doing? I feel like some people need to go in there and they need to lose a thousand bucks and sulk as they're driving home to be like, okay, I I, I shouldn't do that. Well, it's, we're humans, right? How we learn is through challenges and and fucking up, essentially. We have to Fail, fail, fail. We have to. Exactly. We have to. I was laughing about it with my wife last night because- uh, I, I totally am with you on the whole shitcoin casino uh, debauchery. However, I really do think cryptocurrency beyond Bitcoin is pretty cool technology. It's, I love DAOs, for example. I think the concept of a DAO is revolutionary. And that's what got me into the whole scene a lot more than Bitcoin. I had heard about Bitcoin back in 2014. And I was like, okay. oh, cool. Like, all right, money. And at the time, I was anti-money. I was a bohemian. I was just a vagabond <laughs> traveling. I didn't want anything to do with money. It was war and it was people selling their souls nine to five. And I was just like, no. <laughs> and so I heard about Bitcoin from Andreas. I was like, this is cool, but it doesn't really affect my life or what I care about. Uh, two years later, I learned about Ethereum and the DAO. And uh, this was a bit before you got into it, but maybe you've heard of it. The The first official DAO, they just called it the DAO and they raised over a hundred million dollars from regular people, just like you and me all over the world, just putting in whatever they got and everyone got DAO tokens. And then there was a big hack and Ethereum basically hard forked the chain. So the hack was reversed and this was very controversial in the space. Proof of proof of work, right? the, The hardcore proof of work people at the time were like, wait a minute, you're just going backwards and hard forking the chain. Like that's not what this technology is for. But at the time, that was irrelevant to me. I just thought, hey, people are going to invest in something where they can, you know, mutually reap the benefits of the the mutually reap profits, mutually profit from the endeavors that this DAO decides to get into. So the technology for people to come together with their finances towards like a mission, I always thought that was really cool. The problem is cryptocurrencies, you know, not Bitcoin. They're they're no different than the than the fiat world. 
And so you, you can just go trade stocks or bonds or whatever, and those are regulated and they have disclosures. Cryptocurrencies don't have disclosures. People don't know that they all have pre-mines that 30 to 40% in most cases were given to the founders. They keep them and they can print as many as they want. And you know, there's a terms of service. There's an office. There's a founder. They can be sued. Right. There's a marketing department. You know, And Bitcoin has none of that. So they're just separate. And you know, I hate it when people are like, oh, no, but Bitcoin's a, a you know cryptocurrency or it's like, well, no, first of all, Satoshi never once called it a cryptocurrency. Not once. Nowhere in the white paper does it say that. And sure, are humans animals? Technically, yes. So if an alien comes down here, let's put us all in that bucket. But you're not going to call most humans an animal. You usually separate the two. And so because Bitcoin is so different in that sense, it's it's important for people that are just coming in to discern. Like if you've got extra money, you want to throw it around, fine. I get that. I'm not toxic about that. But Bitcoin is is money. Bitcoin is Bitcoin. Everything yeah. else is yeah, cryptocurrency and shit coins. So is your book meant for new newcomers to Bitcoin? It is. It's meant for newcomers in that I speak with lots of uh, metaphor and story to help people understand the fundamentals. Uh, but I don't leave it just in in fifth grade math in that, you know, once, once like, so we were talking about the properties of money, like once the properties of money are displayed, I, I, I help explain, I help explain, I help show like through history, how, how it's corrupted past money systems, for example. Um, and I even have a three chapter arc for instance, where I will explain nodes very well and mining and proof of work and all that, but without getting technical and Cody, um, you know, I do it by, I adopted the uh, cast from the TV show friends and I put them in a coffee shop and they wanted to leave their bank. And, you know, the guys want to mine and the girls are nodes and, you know, a guy named Satoshi overhears them and he's like, I can help you guys. So <laughs> I help walk them through how it works. And I really did that for myself because I didn't fully understand how nodes and miners interacted and I saw lots of people arguing about, oh, miners protect the network. No, nodes protect the network. You know, which is it? And or, you know, when when Elizabeth Warren came out or other environmentalists and are like, oh, my God, Bitcoin is using so much energy, um, you know, more than a small country. And it's just like, what? You know, it's like I wanted to learn what were the facts? How does all this work? You know, and then you learn like, oh, it actually uses 0.8% of the entire world's global energy and it emits zero greenhouse gases. And in fact, it it produces hot air like a hairdryer or a space heater. And, you know, so you just start to learn the facts and how it eats methane and all that. And I'm just like, okay, that, you know, clearly there's, there's uh, political manipulation here in, in the narrative for obvious reasons because they can't control Bitcoin. And so, it also teaches us how, how many resources are just wasted. And if it weren't for Bitcoin oh. mining, we can use that excess methane or the excess solar power or whatever it might be to create a better money supply for the planet instead of just letting go. If environmentalists <laughs> and climatologists were are are being intellectually honest, they want Bitcoin because we turn the world into a deflationary world. We get rid of of the of the desire and need to consume right away. We incentivize saving. We in, we in, we incentivize um thinking on a long term long term time frame because our money is worth more in the future it's like should i buy this one tv now i probably could get two tvs if i wait 2 years 
And it's like, we're not used to having that. Like if you, you know, if you want a TV, you better buy it right now. It is going to get more expensive later, you know, or an iPhone or whatever, but not when you work, even if it's your own circular economy, like even if the world doesn't change and, and like, I don't think USD will ever go away as a reserve currency. I think it will as a reserve asset, but as a currency, I think that US dollar will always, always be here because it has current, it, it flows. I, you, but operating on a Bitcoin standard for yourself, you can turn your entire world deflationary, which is what I do. So it's like things get cheaper in time for me, no matter what. Do you find that that affects your outlook or even just your perception on buying things in general? Uh, or like 100%. What, what, you're, what you're buying and why? I've noticed that when I'm really trying to stack sats, it just, uh, well, like, I just don't want to buy that. I don't need it. And it's like, well, it would well, be fun. Well, you put it in or... terms of sats, right? Like as of today, just a $10 purchase is 33,000 sats, right? So it's like- it's a lot of sats. Okay. <laughs> it is. And what happens when one day, uh, you know, a, a sat is a buck? Yeah. What happens, what happens when, when day... I look back in seven years? Yeah. And I'm like, that's, I mean- you know, I hate to give predictions, but I will tell you, I do think we're probably going to be at about a million a coin in about 10 years. Okay. Right? So you're... Because of the number of halvings we go through and whatnot. So if it's at a million, I think that's, uh, is that a, I think that's a penny a sat. Yeah. I think that's a penny a sat. So it's like, you know, what if suddenly we're at, so Thursday, so what is that? 3,300 bucks? Right. So I gave away 3,300 bucks 10 times today on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Just so people could get, and it's cool. A couple of people were contacting me. They're like, I've never received a SAT in my life. Or they're like, oh, cool. I never downloaded a wallet yet. I quickly downloaded a wallet. And I'm just like, you know, I just wanted to do something little to just help, you know, spread the word. I don't know. And that kind of thing feels good too, because you're helping onboard newcomers into the space. And yeah, one way you could look at it is like, oh man, I'm out 3,300 bucks in 10 years. Or it's like, no, now someone is, could very well, their whole life situation could be changed in a few Absolutely. years because of that, that gift that I sent yeah. them. And that's yeah. what I really like about the whole Bitcoin space and zaps and everything happening now with Noster. I, I, I really, I really like watching it. I'm still... I'm still, I don't know, every time, do you use Noster often? So I signed up when everyone said to jump on board and I uh -huh. signed up as fast as I could and it was so clunky and copy this and yeah, add this and I know, yeah. I'm sure it's gotten better. There's Here's no my real, justification. excuse oh, me, yeah. there's no real discovery. Like on Twitter, there's discovery mechanisms. So, you know, you can mm. make, you can formulate your content, right? And people can find you and you got to. That's a good way know. to put it. Yeah. Yeah. But on it's just like a free for all. <laughs> yeah. On Noster for now, or it was when I was using it. And unless you had a following that you brought over from Twitter, no one's really seeing your stuff unless it's literally while they're scrolling through amidst all the Chinese bot spam posts. Yeah. Well, that was the thing for me, exactly that you articulated that well. I didn't know how to find anything. And then I was either seeing the exact same stuff on Twitter, hmm. but in a, in a less visual format. And it was mostly hardcore Bitcoiners. And right. at least for me, I'm trying to go where the Bitcoiners aren't. And that's hmm. the struggle that I've had, you know, where... You know, people are like, oh, well, who is your audience? Who do you, you know, who do you want to reach? Who do you want to talk to? And it's like, I want to go to people that don't know a thing about Bitcoin. That's who I want to talk to. 
You know, it's like, I want to go like, this is a great doing this podcast with you. Cause your audience, it, it sounds like they're, they're more, um, it's a, just a little bit broader than just Bitcoin, but you know, I want to go talk to real estate bros. I want to go talk to self-improvement people. I want, you know, I just want to go talk to anyone you know, to, to environmentalists. I want to talk to people that just, they see and have their own problems and I can help show them how Bitcoin's a door into a solution. Let's talk about Bitcoin at a million dollars for a minute. Okay. In that scenario, how does it reach that? Or what What is contributing to, what factors around the world are contributing to that, that price scenario? So, so several factors. So there's, there's, so many experts will tell you there's about $900 trillion in global wealth in, in the world. I think it's probably closer to $800 trillion, but they're, I think, accounting for certain cash credit systems that, are, that go above my brain. I'm not like a macro economist. Mm-hmm. But, so there's about $800 trillion. So let's just take real estate alone. Okay, That's the largest swath of that $800 trillion. There's $325 trillion in real estate. Wow. The majority of that real estate is, are not the people that just have their homes. I, I believe everyone should have their home, sovereignty, do what you want with your house. Um, but the majority of those people, it's because they have second, third, fourth, they have income properties. And if you ask those people, do you want to be landlords? Do you really want to own that real estate? Or do you want to tell people that you own it because you like what it says about you? You like the label of having, you know, owning these other properties that you don't really get to visit. You don't really get to be in because you have tenants or your Airbnb. It's like, no, you want the money that that real estate can provide to you. And this is what you know. You've grown up being you know, like, oh, you watch movies and oh, real estate moguls. And those are the people with wealth. They're not making any more real estate. Well, yeah, actually they are. It burns down. It depreciates it. Anyway, so... 5%, just if 5% of that starts to shift over, and especially right now where most people can't afford any more real estate, and they want to solve the toilets, the trash, and the tenants, and show that, look, you know, it, it's, it's a more perfect real estate. It's scarce. There's only 21 million homes. Right now, today, Jordan, they're selling Bitcoin homes for $30,000 a home, right? So I believe in 10 years, those are going to be a million dollar homes. What's a Bitcoin home? $30,000, one Bitcoin. Oh, gotcha. Where are they selling right, So those? I'm just calling a Bitcoin a home, meaning oh, okay. that I believe that we will start to suck over the people from, uh, that wasn't great wording. We will start to pull over the people that uh, can't afford real estate because Bitcoin is cheaper and it's, and it's easy. And just like we talked about, it has all the properties of money that a house doesn't, where a house is stationary and you're paying annual taxes. You own it, but you're just paying annual taxes. Well, that's just rebranded rent to the government. The gov- government or the bank is your... Uh, landlord, it's it's not you don't that, really own it. If someone can take it from you, that's the big thing. So, is if you're keeping your wealth in land and real estate, you have to pay for it every every year. You don't have to pay for old holding a bitcoin. That's right, and I get it. When there's capital gains tax, if you go to sell, fine, pay your taxes. But to just hold it and do nothing, why are you constantly paying on top of all the maintenance and everything else that you have to do with it? So. And, you know, real estate, at it, so real estate isn't money. No one calls real estate money, but they're using it as money. The first and most important property of money is store of value. And, using, and that's why, like, in, there's neighborhoods near me and, you know, like over in Beverly Hills and whatnot, where there's tons of houses that are just empty because they're owned by Chinese people, they're owned by Saudi Arabians, and they're owned by so many foreigners that they are also looking for a better store of value. They're so just storing their value we, in a house, an empty house. If we took just 5% of that 325 trillion that is in real estate. 
So that alone would put Bitcoin at over $750,000 of Bitcoin. I think about $773,000 of Bitcoin. Wow. And you can do the same math with just taking a couple percent from bond. So like Greg Foss, who's a great macroeconomist and speaks a lot about this, he says Bitcoin's going to be $2 million of Bitcoin. And he's just looking at taking, I think it's 5% of this huge this huge uh, bucket, this 800, 900 trillion bucket. So and that's this- $2 trillion. I I mean, sorry, two million. I'm not saying two million. I'm saying half that, basically. Right. Well, and who knows? I mean, give it enough time, it could be a lot more than yeah. that. Do you believe that it'll be a reserve currency or a reserve asset? No, I asset? don't think it'll. Yeah. I believe it will be a reserve asset, which we're now seeing. You know, the BRICS countries: Brazil, Russia, India, um, China, Saudi Arabia, and even Syria and Iraq are starting to jump in. For the first time ever, we haven't had this because, but they saw how we sanctioned the Canadians and how we took away the gold from uh, Russia um, during COVID, right. that during the war, that they're now trading for the first time in other currencies. And for the first time, many of these countries are now accepting Bitcoin. Like that is huge because they're now, you know, deflating our petrodollar system that we've enjoyed. I mean, it's an incredible privilege that we've had since 1973, but you know, we do it at the disadvantage of everybody else. Like we say right. to, to to Vladimir Putin, "Hey, sell us your oil at eighty bucks a barrel. Great. We're just gonna press print. Here's the eighty bucks. Thank you. And now you give it to us, but you have to, you know, the money you have to raise to to produce and make that oil, and and for our dollars, when you get our dollars, it's like you have to work for it. You know, we print it, and everyone else, and it's like you know." If you go down and you see what you know, I, I don't know. I'm going to go too deep in a rabbit hole, but you know, we're just disadvantaging so many third world countries because that we can print the money, then we take their resources that they have to sell to us in our in our own money. So we can print it; they have to work for it. Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John yeah. Perkins. You ever read it? Yeah. No, but I know, but I know what you're talking about. Um, that book really opened my eyes to how the IMF works and all of it. Because going to third world countries, uh, foment war, essentially, civil war and discord. Let the civil war happen. This is all thanks to the CIA. And then we send in our banks, give basically, to come give loans to these countries, to dictators, to rebuild. Mostly to the dictator. Yeah. yeah. And then that's why I love El Salvador and Naib Bukaleli yeah. to like, yo, like, Given the finger to the IMF, like, hey, absolutely, we'll we'll pay your your the debt, but we're done. We're done taking more from you, and it'll be really exciting to see how things unfold down there. Yeah, and I think that's what Africa's trying to do. You know, it's like fifteen of their fifty five countries are still French under French colonialism. You know, economically, and it's like they are, have so many rich resources, especially gold. Yet when they mm. mine the gold, they have to send it back to France. Freaking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So where's the sovereignty there talking about sovereignty? It's like, you know, so they don't really own their land. They don't really own their property. And it's like Bitcoin for the first time in history is true property that anyone can own and in any fraction. Like it, does, no one is restricted. Like everybody is welcome. There's access for everyone. And it can exist in your head. It doesn't even need to be something that can, something material that can be stolen. It can literally that's just right. be 12 words you memorize in your head. And that's, that's I right. think, uh, where the true sovereignty comes in is we talked Huge. about portability. We talked about all these things. And yeah, it's great that a bank, a central bank or government can't just decide to devalue your money with the pr- click of a button. But 
you can do whatever you want with this money. Like, and if you're take control of your keys, right. And you make sure you're, you're onboarding privately, privately enough and knowing how to follow basic privacy rules. Like you're, you're free. You're economically right. free to transact with whomever, whoever, and no one can take that away from you. No. Cross borders. No one can censor it. Caesar, seizure, you know, there's no sanctions. It's like you, for the first time, get to have like a peaceful protest however yeah. you want, you know, and you can do it pseudonymously too. It's like, it's not, you know, it's not secretive, but it's, but it's, but it's private. You know, and that's what that's what some people don't understand because it's like, you know, I mean, look at the, I mean, look what's look what I mean. Here we are in the like privileged West where everything is supposed to be as good as possible, but like, look what's happened recently with the bank failures, you know, and look what's happening with other custodians, you know, which is happening right in front of us right now, you know, and like even as we're speaking, like Prime Trust is now going down, and it's like that's really really scary. Because there were there were even Bitcoin only companies that were with Prime Trust, so it just shows, mm. you know. Fortunately, these companies also say, "Hey, buy on our exchange. We'll hold it for you, but please take it off and put it in your own wallet." And that's and that's what's important. Like it, it, you know, it's like I'm so bullish about this BlackRock ETF that's coming in. Are I think you? it's going to onboard a ton of people. Yeah, I think it's actually very, very good. Very, and it's a net positive for the space. But we have to educate. We have to get out there with a megaphone and tell people. You have to take Bitcoin into your own custody. You know the. So, what do you think about BlackRock stating in that press release or whatever it was that they stated how they may not stay on the same chain if there's ever a fork, they'll fork yep. to the one that they believe will hold the most value in the future. I, I recently saw a thread little bit yep. like, you know, conspiracy minded, like, hey, why are they saying uh, they might switch to a less valuable fork <laughs> one day? Yeah. I mean, I think legally they just have to say that for all options. But by the way, let's pretend worst case and they do. It doesn't matter. So, right. And let me back up and I'll tell you why. Because I feel that the people that are going to go into BlackRock, it's going to be mostly all of these passive retirement funds, these 401ks. People aren't going to be dumping suddenly $10 million in. It's going to be 2%, 1%, 3%, all the registered advisors want to put in firemen's funds, schools, whatever. They, they all want a piece of Bitcoin, but they're not going to go all in. The BlackRock ETF will give them that first taste, like all of us had. They'll start to see NGU technology because the number's going up. That, okay, but we need to get out there. So now that they have it, now that they have skin in the game, now go buy your real bag of Bitcoin. Take self-custody and hang on to that. Now, BlackRock, let's say, oh, we want to fork because we're ESG. We want to go proof of stake like Ethereum. It loses, yes, energy, which is not true. But uh, so they they fork. Well, so people don't understand forks. If you get a fork, everyone that has Bitcoin doesn't lose their Bitcoin on the main Bitcoin core chain. We still have Bitcoin. You now just additionally have some on, uh, let's call it BlackRock coin. But the miners and the nodes are the ones that all are going to accept and vote. And all of us and anyone else that has a node is not going to vote or accept the BlackRock ETF, the BlackRock chain. And BlackRock, no matter how many people they have, no matter how much money they have, has no more vote than you or I or anybody else. They have the exact same vote. The worst that happens is that the money that's captured in that ETF 
goes over to this other chain, but they still have the money on our chain as well. And so at that point, they're like, oh, it's split. Let me learn. This happened to me when I came in in November of 2017, mm, yeah. suddenly Bitcoin Cash split. And I remember someone, a friend told me, he said, hey, you know, Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin. That's what you want. Oh. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and I didn't know. So I was like, okay. And I started buying more and whatnot. But fortunately, I still had my Bitcoin because I had both. And as I started to read and learn, this was like, okay, I just let the Bitcoin cash fall to the side. And then there goes my Bitcoin. So uh, that's well, why I'm not worried because you can fork it today. I can fork it today. Like, and it, people fork it all the time. You know, a lot of the cryptocurrencies are just forks of Bitcoin. Well, the, the people that do buy into BlackRock or the institutions, whatever, and then they make BlackRock coin, what's the likelihood they're going to take self-custody? What's the likelihood they're, they're even going to be able to take self-custody? They won't. They won't be able to take self-custody of that initial percentage, which was my point that like it's going to be a small percentage of their portfolio, but because they have skin in the game, they're going to learn about it. They have to hear from us. We have to get the word out there and how important self-custody is and things like what's, what are happening with Prime Trust today and what's happened with other you know crypto banks like you know Celsius and BlockFi and those. People will learn about self-custody. They can't. So what they could do is they could sell BlackRock and then immediately buy their own. They're going to have some capital gains taxes. Yeah. But at least it just gets them started because I feel BlackRock is mostly going to capture not you or me. It's it's the people that just don't know how or don't want to be bothered yet. That's so, a lot of people, though. Especially it if you, is. It's, that's a it's lot huge. of people. People that don't want to be bothered. I, I I wish I shared your optimism about people learning about self custody. I hope you're right. Yeah. Well, I'm also just looking at, you know, all the ETFs out there. It's like, you know, aside from whatever fork that BlackRock would do, it's like, you know, I'm not, you know, unless, unless I'm misinformed, I'm not aware of any ETFs that have like blown up, especially at that level. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, generational wealth, you know, has been created by these ETFs because a lot of people don't, don't care how email works or how their iPhone works. They just want to use it. And granted, that's a proof of stake system. And so there's risk, you know, there's absolutely risk, but I would hope we could educate and teach self-custody. It's like, hey, if my mom calls me, it's like, oh my God, now I have some Bitcoin finally. And I'm just like, okay, great. Don't buy any more from the ETF. You know, let's now go do this. Now that you, now that you see it's going up and you're so excited about your portfolio, because that's the thing. It's going to go up fast, very fast. Once this all starts. Yeah. Well, I've been hearing that for years and I guess we're supposedly right on the precipice now. So what do you yeah. think about the maxi notion of if all of our transactions went peer to peer using Bitcoin, for example, and less of it was taxed uh, and governments would have less money for things like war? Uh, I know you mentioned you don't think the USD is going away. And do, do we see a better world thanks to Bitcoin becoming a reserve asset? I think we do because it what it does is is it evens it evens the playing field so that we're making decisions uh, fairly. Like right now, we're all playing this big game on this world map, and I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm an American, so I benefit from it, but we have such a massive advantage over some of these other countries that, you know, are trying to come to our country or are trying to do bad things because they don't have perfect money. Their, their time isn't captured in a way where they can make clear decisions. Mm -hmm. There's no clear signal. 
And so I feel like, I mean, like so many wars that we've gotten involved in, first of all, we shouldn't have even been involved in. Like, yes, we need to protect ourselves. I, we, we need to have a military full stop, but we wouldn't be involving ourselves in a lot of these skirmishes if it wasn't for the fact that we could just print money. 100%. I mean, I think it's never been more obvious than this whole thing in Ukraine. Like it's, yeah, yeah. what better word than a skirmish? It's like, it has nothing or to COVID. do with COVID. COVID is a war. <laughs> yeah. And there's going to be another one, right? Inevitably. I mean, going to be something. Post COVID, we, we injected $6.2 trillion into our money system. 6.2 trillion within a two month time period. And to put that into perspective, it took 227 years to put $6 trillion into our yeah. economy before that. <laughs> like, that's insane. So, which is why all, all prices, for the most part of most assets, were about 40% more. Yeah. Like, now we're paying the bill for that. So, uh, that, yeah, that's it's like as, uh, as Breedlove always preaches, it's just like this sick desire by these central banks. Like, they just have to do it. They're just like these monsters that just can't keep their finger away from the button. And they just keep enriching themselves and their cronies. And it's, it's along that lines of thinking, it's impossible to stop it. It's just the fiat monster will continue to grow and suck up what it can until it can no longer sustain itself. It's like getting too getting too fat to live. Like I brought, I brought yeah. up the dad bod thing because like when I see my gut, <laughs> when I see my gut, that's my my physiology saying, okay, I got to like store this fat, you know, so I can survive later. Yeah, something about the animal means it's no, it's really just I'm getting lazy. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to need that later. And right. if you keep doing that long enough, it'll kill you. Right. Inevitably, like you, you, the human body can't sustain that. And obviously a, a currency isn't a human, but I think there are, uh, there's similarities. There's for aspects sure. of nature. We can't really argue with when, I mean, a circulating, a currency is something very natural to us. Right. Right. Well, if I had the mind of a politician and I became one tomorrow, I could be like, Hey everybody, I'm not going to tax you. Yay. Vote for me. Amazing. I'm not taxed. But I can just inflate all I want, which is just a stealth phantom tax. So why would I not do that? And that's why they do it, because they know they can only raise taxes so much or they're going to get voted out of office. But inflation is the exact same thing. It literally gives them all the money that they need. Yeah, no one knows. So, yeah. And they're just not – you know why? Because we're just used to it. Ever since I was a little kid, right? My grandma, like, oh, I used to buy this loaf of bread for 10 cents. It's like, oh, okay. Money just goes up. I, You know, you don't – well, that's it's just, the whole, it's, just, it's been normalized. It's the whole premise of Keynesian economics, right? Like you got to have inflation yep. to stimulate the economy, which I had a guest on recently. I've talked to several people about this recently, and I'm not sure I completely disagree with it because when you do have whatever a steady 2% inflation, it, it encourages people to spend their money on things like innovation, right? We have some cool technology, we have cool things coming out of the world thanks to having to spend your money or invest it. So, you know, this and that. And the argument is that if we had a deflationary currency, if everyone's just holding Bitcoin, where's the innovation going to come from? Because you know you'll make more money just holding on to Bitcoin than investing in this in this startup that could change the world with its cool AI, whatever. You know yeah, what see, I mean? I, look, I, I feel like it's the opposite because I feel like, it, it, you know, like when Bitcoin's going up and there's a big bull market and I know what that is worth in, in terms of fiat – 
I'm way more generous and I'm ready to spend that and go do things and build things. And I mean, I'll finance my own films. Fair I'll do point. all kinds of stuff like Fair that. Fair point. Yeah. You know, um, anyways. <laughs> That's a really good point. I mean, I know, yeah, the last the last two bull markets is when I got most of my my stuff done, so to speak, like my yeah. leveling up thanks to having some cash. So, do yeah. you want to tell us? And you get us- to make decisions like turning down junk that you don't want to do, right? Right. You have about two years of that, and then suddenly you're in the boat that I'm in now, which is like, oh man, I'm going to be broke for another two years. I better figure something yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, you got to hang on there. Yeah. Well, do you want to tell you us? You got to mind fiat every now and then. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, trying to figure that out now, and it's just like just not caring so much because yeah. I never did. I have a family now, so I have to figure something out, like on that line. Right. But it's just like, why do I care about making dollars? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, you want to tell us a little about your book and where it can be found? And help sure. people can follow uh, you. Yeah, um, it's available on Amazon right now in all formats: audio, hard, paper, um, Kindle. It's called Proof um, of they Money. Can follow me. Proof of Money. Yeah, Proof of Money. Uh, the big idea behind Bitcoin: what you don't know about why you need it. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Proof of Money. And uh, it'll be available everywhere in probably a month or two. Amazon has like an exclusive for a couple months. I forget how long. And then it goes to, you know, Barnes and Noble and Walmart and all that junk. And it's my third book. I've always written about finance. I've always written about self-improvement. Hmm. So I, so it still has a little bit of that flavor. Um, but unlike my past books, it's not about me at all. It's really all about Bitcoin. I don't talk about myself at all. Um, so, and I, Try to just give pure signal. It's very nutrient dense in that it's just it's 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 twenty one chapters, but it's lean and it gets right it gets right to it. Um, cool, cool. I get so, really triggered reading Bitcoin books. Like I'm how six chapters into the what Bitcoin or the Bitcoin standard for years because I just get too fired up. And like, you know, mix of emotions, angry, excited, this, and I was like, you get the call to action already. And so I feel like I, there's nothing I can do about it. Like, and I have to just go yeah. work on something. And so I've all, I, I don't read That's a lot funny. of Bitcoin books. So I'm going to try to pick it up soon. And- well, I'll be honest. And I mentioned this in the disclaimer in the book. It's like, when I first got into Bitcoin, I picked up three or four books. Honestly, I never finished any of them. I, I couldn't get through them. And maybe I'm too dumb. I don't know. I have a background in finance and economics as well, but I, I couldn't get through the Bitcoin standard. And this might sound blasphemous, but it's just, it, there were too many, it was, there were too many details that I didn't want. I just wanted to get to Bitcoin. And that's why I wrote the book. I said, I'm going to write the book that I want because I feel like that's what my friends and family will want. So, and if anyone else enjoys it, then fantastic. Cool. Well, thank you for providing that value for, for the world. And I'll be recommending your book. I love your perspective on it all. And it sounds like you're, I mean, you're, you're very articulate and you're very well thought out these ideas. So, uh, it's, it's exciting to know that you're writing about this. Would would you put this on the, like kind of the same table as self-help books or self-improvement? No, well, no, uh, it's a great question. Because the proof Um, of work metaphor, that's why I bring it up. Yeah. So I would, I would in that sense, because throughout the book, it talks about like time and what time means to you and how to honor your time and what the truth of time is, Mm. but it does it also with very tangible, um, and, uh, uh, accessible, digestible ways to understand what Bitcoin is. Um, but yeah, I guess it, it, it is not, not as much as my past books. Like my first book was called produce yourself, 
And that's where I take, you know, the hero's journey and everything that I do in film and TV and said, let's make you the perfect hero, you know, oh. but you have to go through the steps to get there, right? You're, you're going to have to fail. You know, you need your mentor and blah, blah, blah. Um, so maybe it has some aspects, but it's, it's, it's mostly for people that like stocks and real estate and want to make money and all this stuff. And so I'm like, you can make money, but let me tell you about the principles underneath it. Cause I still think that's the shiny thing that got all of us in. And I still feel that's the best way to orange pill others is to start off with saying, okay, you can make some money and here's how and why, but let's see what's under the hood. That's going to change the world. Yeah. That's kind of why the, the happenings are built in too to Bitcoin. Like Satoshi knew about human greed. <laughs> It's insane. Like it's, it's mind, it's mind boggling. It's like, yeah, I don't want to like worship Satoshi, but it's like every time I learn something new about him and it's just like, oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's crazy what he, what he gave us. Sovereign States of Mind.